I'm home. This is the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast, an introspective look into video gaming from the classic era until today. Now here is your host, Brian. Hey folks, what's going on out there? Brian here, and this is episode number 11 of the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. Uh, just to catch you guys up, I haven't been doing too much in the realm of video gaming as of late, aside from playing some, uh, Star Trek Online, I'm getting back into that. Um, one of my favorite streamers on Twitch that I follow, his name is Zallard1, shout out to him. He is the current world record holder, multiple world record holder, now that I think about it, on the game's, uh, the arcade punch-out, super punch-out for the arcade, um, Mike Tyson's punch-out for the NES, super punch-out for the Super Nintendo, and also, I want to say, punch-out for the Wii. I think he owns most of the records there. Um, but yeah, I watch him a lot. And he's just really, really good at the game. And I've picked up quite a bit just watching him play. You know, his style of play is very aggressive. And he's shown me things that I thought, you know, I was pretty decent at the game. But the game's uh, plural. But no, this guy's a, a true master. And shout out to him and all respect. So... Let's see, what else? Um, not too much else. Um, I'm probably going to go to the arcade in Brighton next week. Um, I was thinking about going this week, but I just had zero energy. And especially today, it, it just, between the weather and, uh, not getting a lot of good sleep over the week, I think it finally caught up with me over the weekend. So, I'm going to just, uh table that until next Sunday and then um if anything of import or if uh a thought or an idea comes to my mind either on my way there or on my way home um of course I will put it in an on the road segment to be posted later so uh I do have that voicemail that I talked about in episode 10 and it is from Mike Stewart so here we go. Hey, Brian. This is Mike Stewart, DM Mike, uh, just in the middle of episode three, and just wanted to call and uh, say enjoyed the show. Um, as we're about the same age, um, I got into video games a little later than you did. I was uh, about 11 or 12, and at our local mall, we had an Aladdin's Castle. And between that and a nearby uh, 7-Eleven, which had two video games, including Asteroids and Dig Dug, um, it, uh, listening to your experiences and talking about the games really brings the memories back. Keep up the good work, and I'll keep listening. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for the voicemail, Mike. I really appreciate it. I have to say, I'm just a little bit jealous you had a Aladdin's Castle arcade in your uh, area. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and bemoan it because after a discussion thread on Facebook that I was a part of, I realized that I had uh, no less than five arcades within a 30-minute drive of my house, you know, back in the day. So, you know, I wasn't hurting for arcades either. I remember when I visited my aunt in Virginia in the summer of 1982, um... I remember that there was a an Aladdin's castle in this shopping center, which was across from a mall uh, on the, I want to say, the north side of town, if I remember correctly. It's either the north side or the east side, one of the two. But there was a shopping center on one side of the road, and then there was a uh, actual mall on the other side of the road. Um, uh, in the shopping center, they actually had a, a uh, shutdown Aladdin's Castle location. I mean, apparently they had closed down, like, I want to say, earlier that year. 
because you know they still had some of the uh fixtures in the place and they still had a lot of the signage up they, they hadn't come and removed it i i don't think but yeah i remember at the time thinking oh man that would have been cool um then of course i find out later that day that along the road slash highway that i was walking along there was an actual arcade i want to say like three or four miles down the road back towards my uh aunt's house so you know i was able that was my thing when i was a kid i was always on the lookout for arcades yeah but i mean just seeing that there was an aladdin's castle there and that was one of the holy grails of arcades back in the day because i used to read about them in magazines and so forth you know, and I would hear about them from some of the guys that uh, frequented the arcades I used to go to. They would tell me, yeah, there was a, there was an Aladdin's castle here or there, or they went somewhere out of state with their parents. They found an Aladdin's castle or whatever. So I was always curious about, you know, uh, what that arcade actually was and, you know, what kind of games were in it and so forth. Yeah. So again, thank you very much for your voicemail, Mike. And I'm really appreciative of you taking the ride along with me. And like Mike, if you've got any sort of, you know, memories or thoughts or stories of arcades when you were a kid um, and you want to share them, by all means, get a hold of me at arcadeaddictbrian, that's all one word, at gmail.com. Also, you can call a voicemail, call the voicemail number like Mike did, and that number is 734-743-2433. Also, you can get a hold of the show through our uh, social media platforms. I am at Facebook, which is just run a search for Confessions of an Arcade Addict. I am on Twitter, that is ArcadeAddict underscore B. I'm on Instagram at ArcadeAddictBrian, again, all one word. And Tumblr.com is uh, Tumblr.com slash blog slash Confessions of an Arcade Addict, all one word. So uh, there are ways to get a hold of the show, and by all means, if you've got something to say, as long as you're respectful, you can say whatever you want to say. So without any further ado, let's get into the show, because we've got quite a bit to go through here. So, we're going to do this just a little bit out of order, because I think one precedes the other. So, instead of, I'm going to do, uh, I have uh, Arcade Rundown and Storytime, and they're they're both on the same topic, so I'm going to go with Storytime. So, let's do that. Our bodies are given life in the midst of nothingness. Existing where there is nothing is the meaning of the phrase, form is emptiness. That all things are provided for by nothingness is the meaning of the phrase, emptiness is form. One should not think that these are two separate things. Okay, story time. Moving to Florida. Okay, this is going to take a little bit of setup, so settle in, folks. Okay. Uh, the time is 1993. I'm now 24 years old. Um, I'm still living at home. Uh, I have a full-time job and, um, I'm in a bit of a malaise and I'll tell you why. I mean, the first thing is, I mean, as it pertains to this podcast, a lot of the arcades that I used to frequent have either been shut down or they've moved to other locations and they are shells of the former selves. Let's break it down. Um, Trumbull Mall Arcade closed in 1988, I think. Um, Spanky's closed down, I want to say, oh goodness, I want to say it was 1990. Is it 89 or 90? And then I think the owners moved to another location further up the street and changed the name. Uh, be, I, I want to say that they did that, but it could be that someone else opened an arcade further down the street. But in, in all intents and purposes, it was called uh, Crazy Eights Arcade. And it was 
nowhere near what Spanky's was, even at the worst of times. Um, let's see. Uh, by this time, also, the only arcade that was really still going was Milford Rack, and I didn't wasn't able to get out there anywhere near as much as I used to. I mean, there was a time when I would go out there with Mark, or if I had the money and the planning to do it myself, I would go out there at least once a week, you know, once a weekend or whatever. Um, every once in a while, the new gaming group that I was with, um, you know, my friend Matt or my friend Chris, we would go out to Milford Rec or we would go to um, Arnie's place in Westport. Um, by this time, also, I'd had a major falling out with all of my friends that I grew up with. Um, my best friend Robert found a new group of friends, so I didn't see him very often. Um, it was a bit of a lonely time at that point. I just figured, and I wasn't able to find my niche in my hometown. And it was kind of, it was a little bit rough for me in some ways. So after having a major falling out with the guys I grew up with, um, I just decided I needed to leave Bridgeport. It just wasn't working out for me anymore. I mean, here I am, I'm 24 years old, I'm going to be 25 later in the year, and, you know, I'm about as unhappy as unhappy can be, so it was just time for me to uh, leave the nest. I mean, if you were, if you could speak to my mother, may she rest in peace, um, she would tell you at that, at that point in time that, yeah, it was time for me to, time for me to go out on my own and actually be a full fledged adult. So in 1992, I basically put away as much money as I could between my jobs. Um, you know, my job at, uh, one of the restaurants in the mall and, um, a brief stint at another place, which will be another story time in the future. Um, I actually worked at a um, Nintendo kiosk over the winter of 1991 going into 1992. Um, so I was able to, I basically put away as much money as I could. I mean, I told my mother what I was going to do. Um, I made a bunch of friends down in Florida um, online. I'll tell that story at some point. Um, and so, yeah, I, I basically saved almost every dime I could. And I had a nice little piece of change when it came time for me to pack up my stuff and go. Um, the only, the major thing that happened is that about two weeks before I was supposed to, uh, before I was supposed to get on a plane and go down to Florida, to, you know, stay with some friends, my grandfather passed away. And it was a very rough time for the family. And I think a lot of my family looked at me in a rather different light because all of a sudden uh, I was supposed to stay in, you know, in Bridgeport for however long I was you know, however long I was needed. And and to be honest, I really wasn't. Um, by this point, you know, things with my family aren't all that great. I mean, of course, the patriarch of our family is gone now, and that put a strain on everybody. And I think some people in my family thought that I was going to stay. And I said, no, I've already committed to this, and I'm going to do it. And, you know, I'm, of course, I'm going to be there for the family. I'm going, of course, I'm going to attend the funeral. But once all of that is over and done with, and, you know, all the family that come, you know, that's going to come to pay respects to my grandfather, once they go home, I'm going, I'm going to go to Florida because I have to at this point. So, yeah. So all of that, you know, from... Ooh, I was thinking about it earlier. It's like 
from about 1992 when I left in 1993 it wasn't a very wasn't a very good time for yours truly um so uh so yeah I basically just board a plane and I get on a plane I move to Florida I was living with a couple of friends at the time um, the funny part is, is that there was an arcade across the street from our apartment complex. And it was like, I had read, you know, with that arcade and then exploring the area around where I lived, you know, I kind of rediscovered my, my love for video games and, you know, it sort of went that way. I mean, I had a lot of adventures and misadventures my first year moving out, you know, moving down to Florida. I mean, I moved, what was it? Oh my goodness. I moved nine times in the space of seven months or eight months, I should say. Um, just situations, you know, living situations that I would get into and, you know, it just wouldn't work out for you know, X amount of time. And so I was bouncing around like a pinball for a little bit until one day, um, I got out of work at a restaurant in uh, downtown Melbourne. And, uh, instead of getting on my bike and riding back to the place I was staying at at the time, I decided just to, I had a couple of extra dollars. So I decided to go to the arcade in, um, the Melbourne mall which was right up the street. Um, I went in there, you know, I usually would go in there a couple of times. And at this point, my uh, video game of choice was Street Fighter 2. Um, let's see, this was 1983. Champion Edition had come out, but it had been out and I loved playing it, but I couldn't find it very often. Um, so I would basically just go to this arcade and just, you know, feed my addiction there as you know, I was want to do throughout my life. Um, and I met my future roommate there and I'm standing there and I'm watching her just rocking this street fire too. She always played Blanca and she was really, really good. I mean, fantastic at the game. And, you know, I mean, to the point where, you know, especially when it comes to game, a game like street fighter, um, where you're fighting and you don't take you don't take a, any sort of damage and you get perfects. She was using pennies and putting them on the bezel as she was getting perfects. And then when she got five perfects, she would take the pennies off and put a nickel up. And if she got ten, she would take the nickel and the pennies off and put a dime up. That's that's how into it she was. And I was like, oh wow. <laughs> I mean, I hadn't seen anyone with this kind of video gaming acumen since Mark back in the early to mid eighties. And so I remember I watched her play and she completely wrecked the game. I think that bout of street fire two, she got like, I want to say 13 perfects, you know, and I'm just standing there and I'm just blown away. I'm amazed. And she gets off the game and she finishes the game and she beat the game actually, which, you know, she was really, that's how good she was. She beat that game and beat it handily. And she gets off the game and she said, would you, you want to play me? I'm like, and I basically put my hands up. I said, no, I bowed to a superior talent and I bowed my head to her. And that's how we met. Um, and we became fast friends, like almost immediately. I mean, I think that one day after I went through the game and I played, I think I played Ken and I think I got like three quarters of the way through the game before I lost. And, um, you know, so she sat she stood there and watched me and she played again and I played again and, you know, we're talking and giving each other pointers and stuff like that. It was great. Um, then we went over to the food court, we sat down and we just started talking and, you know, she was comfortable with me. I was comfortable with her. She was as much of a video game head as I was, if not more. She was heavily into anime at the time. And, you know, it was just really cool just to find someone of like interest. I mean, she was into role-playing games. You know, it was awesome. So, 
uh, Smash Cut, that was in the summer of 93. Smash Cut 2 right around um, November of 93. And uh, with a, I had a major falling out with my landlord that I was living in his house at the time along with three other people. And it was, of course, over money. And I'll just leave it at that. Um, so basically after having an argument with the man over money, I was in a real pickle by this time, uh, my future roommate and I had become really good friends. You know, we had, um, let's see. I, yeah, I got actually invited over her house. I met her parents. Um, you know, we were always playing video games together. She had, um, a Super Nintendo. She had a Genesis. Um, we were constantly playing, you know, uh, role-playing games in Street Fighter. We were, um, actually playing, um, what's her name? Uh, oh yeah, I was, I was actually, uh, we were playing Dungeons and Dragons. Um, I was DMing her through a campaign and so forth. You know, it was just, it was really good. We were, we became fast friends. It was awesome just to have a friend like that. Cause that was something I was lacking in my later time in, uh, Bridgeport. So, um, so yeah, I had a falling out with my landlord and I called her up because at this point she was living in Orlando and I asked her point, I told her what the situation was and I asked her point blank if I could move in with her. And she said, yes. And it was a one bedroom apartment on the South side of town, close to, uh, Orlando international airport. And, you know, I basically transferred from my job in, uh, Melbourne. I transferred up there. And so I could, I would not have, uh, a lack of, uh, em employment because of course, now that I'm, I'll be, you know, sharing the bills with her. So, uh, she was living in a one bedroom apartment. I basically was, uh, living in the living room and, you know, that, from there start a really wonderful friendship and we would as you know things sort of settled in for us she got this job at a a mom and pop video game store uh over by the florida mall um you know i was still working at a supermarket at the time and we were we would basically just try to coordinate our days off we would go on arcade runs and that was this person single-handedly rejuvenated, rejuvenated my love for video games and arcades. And I thank her. She knows who she is, and I know she listens. I'm pretty sure she listens. And yeah, I thank her, and I wish her all the best. So yeah, that's story time. Um, any thoughts, questions, ideas, that sort of thing? Get a hold of me. You know the drill. Brian at gmail.com. Okay, moving right along, we will go into Arcade Rundown. Good morning, Mr. Phelps. Your mission, Jim, should you decide to accept it, is to make Stefan believe Thompson's information. As always, should you or any of your IM force be caught or killed, the secretary will disavow any knowledge of your actions. This tape will self-destruct in five seconds. Good luck, Jim. Arcade Rundown. Arcades when I moved to Orlando, Florida. Um, well, when I moved to the Melbourne Palm Bay area, there were video games around. There was an arcade in the Melbourne Mall. Um, of course, that figures big into my arcade history because that's when I met my roommate. Um, but when I moved up to Orlando, Florida, and she had already had the area scouted out pretty well, so she knew where a lot of the places were. Um, let's see. Well, just to be complete about it, um, you know, they, the little putt-putt arcade, uh, miniature golf place that was across the street from uh, where I was living in uh, Palm Bay at the time. That's a place I used to go to a lot. Um, 
that was a wonderful little arcade. You know, it, it was actually legitimate. It had at least, I want to say, 30 machines, and they had a lot of pinball. Um, of course, it had miniature golf, like I said, but it was a wonderful place. It, it, it has since shut down uh, when I was doing research on this era of my life. Um, that place had shut down, but there's another one further up, um, further up the road from where I used to live. Um, of course, the arcade in the Melbourne Mall, which probably is gone by now. Um, that was a nice little arcade. I mean, it wasn't huge. It, it had maybe like 25 machines in it. Um, but it was a nice place just to, you know, go in and spend a little money and have a little fun. Um, but when I got to Orlando, oh my goodness, <laughs> It was almost like rediscover, or like discovering the discovering Milford Wreck all over again. Um, the Fun Machine, that was a arcade that had two locations in uh, in different sides of Orlando. The one was on the north end of town, up in uh, Castleberry, which is like the first town um, north, or no, second town north, well, along State Road four thirty six. That was where that location was. And then there was one on State Road 50 uh, on the west side of town. And my roommate and I, we used to go there all the time. I mean, at least twice a week. At the very least twice a week, if not three. Um, we would go there a whole lot. Um, the place was huge. I mean, of course, I'll go into more detail when, um, when it's time. Uh, in a future episode, of course. Um, Rocky's Replay. That was a place that was also in Castleberry on State Road 436. It was this wonderful, it was an adult-themed uh, arcade slash bar. It was good. I mean, you could bring your kids in there, but yeah, that was much more for adults. And I've found a little more information on it, and I'll, of course, cover that in uh, arcade run, a future episode of Arcade Rundown. Stay tuned. Um, the Fashion Square Mall in Florida Mall, I think the same company owned both malls because the arcades in both were very similar. The one in Fashion Square Mall was slightly larger than the one in Florida Mall, but the games in both were very current. Um, Fashion Square Mall had um, a tournament Street Fighter, a Super Street Fighter 2. Um, and that was something that my roommate and I would go to go play a whole lot. And we would, mm, I'd say seven times out of 10, we would rule that game. You know, anybody who got on that game with us, you know, yeah, we would, we would just kill them because by this point we had pushed each other's street fighter game, uh, to a different level. I got better, she got better, and, you know, we would go through all that kind of stuff. Um, let's see. Another thing that I found out that um, going through Orlando in the early to mid-90s, it was like going through Bridgeport in the early to late 80s, in that a lot of the um, mom-and-pop stores and a lot of the 7-Elevens and the Circle Ks convenience stores would have video games in them the circle k in um melbourne uh just across the city line from palm bay uh there's a circle k there and they had a a perfectly operating street fighter 2 champion edition machine that my roommate and i uh back when we we're still you know befriending each other and getting to know each other we would go there all the time and play that game and we would leave ridiculously high scores on that on that machine um but you know it i saw that and there were tons of places around i mean i just have these sort of half forgotten memories of my roommate and i just going from one side of town to the other looking for uh looking for video games looking for arcades i remember we looked, we heard, she heard from someone that there was a Street Fighter 2 machine in this um, shopping center, I want to say like on the northwest side of town, or northeast side of town, and we had to take a bus to get over there, <laughs> and the funny part was is that um, 
the transit system in Melbourne was not very good to be completely honest about it. It wasn't, it was, it was small time, you know, no offense to anyone who lives in Melbourne, but that's how it was back in the early to mid nineties. Um, and we went, we got that bus, we went over there and we found out that it was a, uh, turbo hack, which, you know, I'll cover that when I get to street fighter two in my, uh, are you experienced, uh, segments segment in uh further in future episodes um so yeah those are the arcades we used to go to we also used to go on to disney property um of course they have arcades in most of their hotels um the one i think the one that had the best reputation or at least the biggest selection of games was the arcade in the contemporary hotel on um i want to say it was uh i think it was near epcot center but i could be wrong I remember this is 30 years ago, so, you know, or excuse me, 20 years ago, so I'm still trying to pull all these memories out of my head. Um, yeah, we used to go, we used to do that. There was um, a game room in the McDonald's on International Drive. That's where we first ran into um, Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo, uh, including my roommate being so good at Street Fighter at that point uh, using Blanca. Um, she actually got to was one of the first people i think she was the first one to get to um akuma in uh super street fighter 2 turbo um and she got so shocked and rattled and hyped up by it that she got run off the machine because as you know you know especially back in those days akuma was a real tough cookie to beat especially you know especially in that aspect of street fighter um, let's see. Yeah, and we used to do things like go to um Enterprise 1701, which was the uh role-playing game science fiction comic book store of choice. They since moved um further east along State Road 50 and became Sci-Fi City, but the, that was a huge staple in our lives as well. So I mean, you know that those are basically the run rundown of the arcades we used to go to. I mean, I knew there was more in the uh, Orlando slash Kissimmee area, but you know we stuck with what we found because it worked for us. So yeah, those are the arcades that I remember, and of course I'll be giving uh, more in depth rundowns and also reviews in future episodes. So as always, stay tuned. Once again, comments, thoughts, you lived in Orlando back in those days and used to haunt the arcades, you know, get, you know, drop me a line, give me a shout, you know, tell me what you know, tell me what you remember, arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com. Okay, without any further ado, we will go to Are You Experienced? I'm too old for this. Hiding in front seats like a teenager. Hobby, I think I'm getting too old for this stuff. I'm getting too old for this. Listen, you was born too old for this. I'm getting too old for this. I'm getting too old for this. Lying red arse to my heather chasing other men's cattle. I'm getting too old for this sort of thing. Maybe we're getting too old for this. What do you think, huh? I'm not too old for this shit. I'm not too old for this shit. You will not. We're not too old for this shit. We're not too old for this shit. We're not too old for this shit. like you believe. We're not too old for this shit. We're not too old for this shit. I'm not gonna buy a hemorrhoid cookie. We're not too old for this shit. Are you experienced? Star Wars. <laughs> this game turned the video gaming world on its ear when it came out. The problem was at least in the way I look at look at the history of video games, if this had come out in 1982, it's quite possible the crash may not have happened. That's the way I look at it. This game, it, the game is that good. Um, to quote from Wikipedia, Star Wars is an arcade game designed by Mike Halley and produced by Atari Incorporated in 1983. This game is a first-person space combat game using 3D color vector graphics to simulate the assault on the Death Star from the 1977 film Star Wars A New Hope. It was developed during the golden age of arcade games and has appeared in lists of the greatest video games of all time. 
and I don't disagree with any of that. This is this is literally one of the best arcade games to ever have been made by anybody. I will put Star Wars up against almost any other video game, past, present, and future, because it was just that good. I mean, it's just one of those games that just kept drawing you back, especially when it first came out, because everyone was playing it. Everybody was playing it. But let's continue. The game features several digitized samples of voices from the movie, including Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker, Alec Guinness as Obi-Wan Kenobi, James Earl Jones as Darth Vader, Harrison Ford as Han Solo, and the mechanized beeps of R2-D2 and the growls of Chewbacca. Assuming the role of Luke Skywalker, Red 5, the player pilots an X-Wing fighter from a first-person perspective. The controls consist of a yoke control with four buttons, two trigger style and two in position to be pressed by the thumbs, each of which fired a laser positioned on the four leading edges of the X-Wing. The player does not have to destroy every TIE fighter and gun turret in order to advance through the game. Instead, the player must survive for a set length of time, either avoiding or destroying enemies in the shots they fire. The player begins with six shields, one of which is lost with every collision with an enemy or a projectile. If the player loses all shields and shields and is hit again, hit again, the game ends. Each wave consists of three attack phases, culminating in the destruction of the Death Star. In the first phase, the Imperial March or another part of the of John Williams' Star Wars score is briefly played electronically and the as the player engages in a dogfight with Darth Vader and enemy TIE fighters in outer space near the Death Star. After the TIE fighter waves when flying towards the Death Star, the yellow grids on the Death Star either spell out May the Force Be With You on odd-number waves or the names of some of the developers on even-numbered waves. Phase 2. In the second phase, the player must fly across the surface of the Death Star to reach its equatorial trench. This section is omitted during the first wave of the game. During the second wave, the player is attacked by artillery bunkers, while in the third wave and subsequent waves, laser turrets on towers rise to confront the player. The player is awarded a bonus for destroying every turret. Phase 3. In the third phase, the player must navigate the trench until firing, finally firing a proton torpedo for a direct hit on the exhaust port target. If the player is successful, the Death Star explodes, and the player is awarded a bonus shield to a maximum of 6. Although the game can be can, can be set for a maximum of nine, it says eight in Wikipedia, but that's not correct. It is nine. Um, should the player fail to hit the exhaust port, a shield is lost, and the player must attempt the trench again. If the player manages to destroy the Death Star without firing anything but at the exhaust port, a bonus is awarded for using the Force. The game then resets to the first phase. Each successive wave greatly increases the difficulty. TIE fighters shoot more often, artillery bunkers and laser towers appear in the second phase, and obstacles appear in the trench during the third. Unlike the movie where the units shoot beams similar to lasers, the enemy units in this game shoot projectiles resembling fireballs in order to give a player the chance to destroy the shots. Okay, moving down to how it was received. The game was one of the top-selling games of 1983, as Atari produced 12,695 units. Compute praised the Atari ST version of Star Wars, calling it amazingly smoothly animated. The MS-DOS, Amiga, Atari ST, and Commodore 64 versions by Broderbund Software were reviewed in 1989. Anne and Dragon 145 by Hartley, Patricia, and Kirk Lesser in the role of computers column. I have that issue, as a matter of fact. That is true. The reviewer gave the game three out of five stars. What were they smoking? Well, never mind. That's Sorry, that's a husband, wife, and child. Three out of five stars. I couldn't disagree with that more. In 1996, Next Generation listed the arcade version as number 58 of their, number, their top 100 video games of all time, citing awesome vector graphics, multiple triggers, and a deluxe cabinet with powerful speakers in the back and digitized voices. They ventured that it was probably the best licensed game ever. I agree with that. In 2001, it was voted one of the top 100 arcade games of all time by members of the killer list of video games. By the way, check that website out. It gives it has tons of information. It's awesome. Okay. Now, my personal experience with it, 
This is 1983. I'm 14 years old. Um, what's the name? Uh, the uh, excuse me, the movie Return of the Jedi had come out, I believe, just before this game hit the hit the arcades. I think. But I remember when that this one came out. Um, let's see, Spanky's had it. Um, like its drugstore had it for a short time. And I just remember everyone was playing it. Every time I went to Spanky's, I dropped at least two or three dollars on this game. It was 50 cents at the time or two tokens. Um, I think I want to say I could be wrong, but I think Milford Rec had it. I could be wrong about that. It's either Milford Rec or um, the arcade at a Connecticut Post Mall had it. One of the two places had it. I know that. But yeah, there were quite a few places that had this game, and it was doing very good business in all of them. Um, you know, it's one of my favorite video games of all time. You know, if you tied me to a chair and put a gun to my head and asked me to name my top 20, this one would definitely be in the top 20, probably top 5. But it's one of the games that it constantly, even though you know it's come, you know, you, you know, you play it enough times, you know how it sets up, you know how to lead the TIE fighters with your fire so that, you know, you're hitting their shots as they're shooting them, but you're moving your crosshair closer and closer to it until you finally hit the TIE fire and destroy it. And, you know, hitting Darth Vader and sending him spinning him off, spinning off into space and things like that. And then, you know, the pattern of, the bunkers, and then the laser towers, um, and then, of course, the trench run. Um, I've never seen, I probably will look it up on YouTube just to give myself a little, uh, give myself, you know, a, you know, a little bit of information, but I've never seen anybody use the force past the second Death Star. Um... Somebody who's really good at avoiding shots could probably do the third one and maybe the fourth one. But by the time you get to the fifth one, it's like now the the emplacements in the trench are shooting so fast and there are no hard there are not as many places to uh dodge the shots because now you have obstacles that you have to avoid as as well as the shots. So it's just easier for you just to shoot the shots as they get close to you and to just evade, you know, to move away from the uh, obstacles. Um, I will, of course, give this a full strategy review in uh, time for some strategy. Time for time to use some strategy. <sighs> Can't even name my own segment. Goodness gracious. Um but yes, this is one of the best arcade games of all time, in my opinion. Uh, this deserves to be up there with Asteroids, Space Invaders, Galaxian, Galaga, Donkey Kong, Pac-Man, Ms. Pac-Man, whatever you want to put up there, this has a place next to those. It's just that good of a game. It's that much fun, and it's that immersive. That's the key. This game is extremely immersive. It always has been. I mean, I remember playing this game and <clears throat> as I'm going through it, you know, um, you, of course, you hear the digitized voices of, you know, Luke and Obi-Wan and Han, like the Wikipedia said, but I found myself as a 14 year old and 15 year old just responding sarcastically to the voiceovers, <laughs> you know, while I'm playing the game because I think I'm, you know, hot s and you know i'm really not i mean my buddy mark was constantly frustrating me on this game because anytime i put up a score of like say um a million four he would come back and put up a million seven <laughs> and it was just constant frustration that way but you know like i've said in you know like i said in episode 10 mark was a really good video game player and you know, I was always, in some ways, I was always chasing him to try and do, you know, just to do better, if just to remain competitive with him in some ways. I didn't think he saw it that way, but, you know. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's see. World Records. In 1984, Robert Maruchik 
scored 300 million points in 49 hours of gameplay, the world record for an individual. And in 2005, Brandon Erickson set a world endurance record of 54 hours on single credit with a score of 283 million. In June 1985, Flavio Tazi, Dave Roberts, and Mike Oren played as a team in turns for five days, two hours, and 26 minutes on a single credit to attain the world record scored of 1 billion and 12 points. Good Lord. Um, it was featured on Yorkshire Television and was verified in the September edition of the UK Computer and Video Games magazine. Their efforts, their efforts raised money for a local charity. The score counter on this game turns over at 100 million points. Uh, because of the fact that a number of skilled players could play indefinitely on the factory settings, it was decided to put the machines on a harder setting for the annual Twin Galaxies International Scoreboard slash Guinness Book Masters tournament, where the player would have six initial shields but no bonus shields, and thus the game would be a test of skill rather than endurance. Eh, that's a good way of doing it. Uh, in the 1986 tournament, David Palmer scored 31,660,614 points on that setting in approximately seven hours, a score that a score which was subsequently published in the Guinness Book of World Records and remains the world record to this day. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I can't even think, I can't even imagine putting up that kind of score on six shields and no bonus shields, because after you destroy the Death Star, of course, you get bonus shields. Um, that is absolute. That is fan. That is just crazy. I, you know, shout out to him. That that's impressive. <laughs> that's more impressive than you know three guys playing a game for five days in turns just to score a billion points on the game. <sighs> it's I'm just amazed the game held up. <laughs> Because when you think about it, they turned they turned that machine over ten times, <sighs> you know, to score a billion points. Wow. Ah, <sighs> wow. That's pretty. That's pretty impressive. And here I am being all proud that I put up a million five <laughs> on a game that was easy that would give you nine shields and would give you three back when you destroyed the Death Star. It was it's set on a really easy setting. <laughs> so yeah, you know that that sort of puts me in my place a little bit. So, my whole thing with the Star Wars trilogy of video games, and I'll talk about it more as we get into The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, because they are they come in out of order. Star Wars came out in 83, Return of the Jedi came out in 84, and The Empire Strikes Back came out in 85, which was really weird. <laughs> you know, that was something because, and also... Return of the Jedi is a raster scan game, and The Empire Strikes Back is is a return to Vector, which is really, it just is weird. I never understood it. But anyway, um, these games, I mean, Star Wars in particular, yeah, all time. You know, all time, all world, Hall of Fame, whatever term you want to use to give this game its props. It deserves it. It's one of the best games out there. I mean, I'm glad the arcade in Brighton has it. At one time, they had two machines, but, um, yeah, they had two machines, but they, I think they got rid of one, and they kept, the, they kept the other one. And every time I go to the arcade, I have to play it. It's just, that's the Star Wars nerd in me, you know, you know, you know, you know just to, just to put my, you know, my Star Wars cred out there for a second. I was one of those kids who was who saw Star Wars in 77. I was eight years old, and that movie changed my life forever. You know, I have always did like science fiction because I was always watching uh, Lost in Space and Star Trek and things like that. But when Star Wars came out, yeah, it just, it, it was over. Then Battlestar Galactic came out in 78, and it was really over. But yeah, so, I mean, I've seen A New Hope... Ugh. at the very least 150 times. I lost exact count. I used to keep count when I was younger, but you know now that I'm 50, I don't care as much. I've seen uh, Star Wars at least 150 times, Empire Strikes Back at least 200, Return of the Jedi at least 100. Um, I was nowhere near as into the prequels, although I will, oh, if um, I'm flipping through channels and say TNT is doing a Star Wars marathon, 
be as they're want to do every other month or so um and uh revenge of the sith comes on i'll i will sit there and watch it because that's a fantastic movie it saved the, it saved the prequels but i'm not going to get into that any further let's just end this segment yes brian let's do that okay um any thoughts about star wars the arcade game uh just get a hold of me arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com so i think we've got one more segment if i pull up my show notes and i look at it correctly Yes, we do. We have On the Road. So here we go. Stay tuned for that. just kind of cool that I remembered 
pattern of the obstacles in the Death Star run on level level eight. Because that's when it starts really getting interesting where uh, the obstacles, especially the large obstacles, they have holes in them that you have to fly through. And if you don't remember those, yeah, you tend to, you will tend to um, run into them, costing you shield energy and ending your game prematurely. So, I mean, I was very happy I got through level 7 and 8, you know, on sheer memory of all things. <laughs> you know, so yeah, I was very, very happy with that score. That score is going to be there for a while because the funny part is I think the high score on the machine is a million five, almost a million six. And that score's been up for as long as I've been playing that particular game at, at the arcade. So I'm quite pleased with that. That was a very solid second place. I'm very happy with it. Um, let's see. It was fun to watch my, my godson. I keep wanting to say stepson, and that's not correct. Uh, watch my godson play games. I mean, he stuck with the simpler games like Pac-Man and Ms. Pac-Man, which again was the hyper Ms. Pac-Man with the uh, enhanced scoring, shall we say. Like I've said in a previous segment, that one, it's like 25 points per pellet and um, it gives you five lives, hyper speed, and when you eat a power pellet, you chase after the ghosts. I think the scoring is 200, 400, um, I want to say 3,200, and then 8,000 for the fourth ghost. And, yeah, if you know what you're doing, you can rack up a pretty high and impressive score. I put up a score of, like, 552,000, you know, and I would have had more if I had remembered, um, let's see, the, let's see, the, Let's see, first set, second set, third set, fourth set, the end of the fifth set of boards, if I had remembered correctly, that the, the when you hit a power pellet, the ghost just reverse direction. I was one board shy of the sixth set of boards, which was pretty, pretty cool. I was very happy with that score. Uh, let's see. Played Phoenix, got an average score of like 20,000. Usually I'm good for 40. Uh, played, um, oh goodness, I've forgotten the name of the game. Well, what can you say? It's 6 in the mor morning. I don't do my best thinking at 6 in the morning which is kind of funny because, you know, which is funny because, you know, I'm usually on the, you know, on the road to work and arriving at work at six in the morning. So, yeah. Um, let's see. What else did I play? Played Asteroids, you know, got a pedestrian score of 13,000, you know, but that's okay because I haven't played an Asteroids machine in quite some time. And in my heyday, which I want to say was 1993 when I first moved to Florida and there was a bar right next door to where I worked and they had an Asteroids machine in there and I'd put up 60, 70,000. 
which is pretty good. And, you know, above average anyway. Um, but yeah, I put up a score of like 13,000 and left it alone. The machine was working almost flawlessly, which was very good. One of the things I noticed is that I hate to say it this way, but it just seemed to me that the arcade was going back to how it was when I first started going there. You know, in the fact that they had a lot of machines that were not working or, you know, or not even plugged in. I think they got more machines and more games because I saw some games there that they didn't have before or at least weren't there the last time I was there which was sometime in April I think um like I've like I've always said about that arcade is that they're two they're two I won't say pet peeves but there are two things about that place that sort of get my goat a little bit or that that per- basically keep it from being a five-star arcade is number one is that the air they need to do something about their air conditioning because nobody's going to want to play be in there and play games if it's not comfortable now comfortable being 75 degrees you know if it's cool it's you know 73 and under um now, it could be that the air conditioning doesn't work very well, or it's to make you spend money in, to get something to drink. And I understand that. I don't agree with it, but I understand it. You know, they're trying to get as much money as possible. I mean, they're charging a flat fee for admittance and all the machines are on free play. I understand it. I mean, I we were there for, oh goodness, we were there from, what, 2.30 until almost six, three and a half hours. So by the end, you know, I had a pretty good sweat going. You know, my godson had a pretty good sweat going and, you know, we had to, dip on over to the uh, Kroger which was about a mile or so up the street and we had to dip in there and get a couple you know get I got a couple iced teas for me and he got a Mountain Dew for him and you know basically had to drink those because you know we were uh, a little bit dehydrated excuse me Uh, the second thing um, well, that was the second thing. So, it, basically, they had a lot of, I call dead machines in the place. You know, now some of them weren't working, like their Dragon's Lair and their Space Ace. Um, I think, well, their Dragon, well, their Space Ace was, I think that it worked maybe once. The times I've been going up there. And their Dragon's Lair was working fine up until the last time I went up there, which was in April, and it wasn't working then, so, um, so they have them basically tucked away right across from their bathrooms, which was cool because, you know, I'm hoping they can get those fixed, although laser disc games are notoriously expensive to get fixed even though in this modern day and age you can just replace most of the equipment with more modern equipment and it'll work just as well if not better but that costs money of course and they're probably just I won't say breaking even they're probably they probably got they're probably making a very modest profit They're making a modest profit, I believe. So, so yeah, I had a pretty decent run. You know, ha- enjoyed myself, which is, you know, the the 
you know, I enjoyed myself, which was the most important thing. And my godson enjoyed himself. And it was cool just to watch him play the old school games and, you know, watch him kind of figure things out. So I just pulled up at work at 6.08. And this is Brian, and this was On the Road. See you next time. This has been the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. All music is provided by Kevin McLeod. You can find his music at incompetech.com. If you wish to contact the show, you can drop an email at arcadeaddictryan, that's all one word, at gmail.com. We also have a voicemail number for the show. It is 734-743-2433. Until next time, this is the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast.